Naturally, we are a survey platform and we use not only to measure employee engagement, but to ask our employees opinion on everything from how are they doing in the early days of the pandemic to how we structure our benefits, perks, etc. when we are working within a more constrained financial envelope for the year. On a wide range of topics, we ask for their opinion and listen to what's most important to them, what they value, where they're willing to accept trade-offs given the challenges that the business may be having. Hello and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today features an interview with Becky Cantieri, CPO at Momentive. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I am your host, Sultan Seidov, and it is my absolute privilege today to Welcome Becky Cantieri to the podcast. Becky, thank you so much for joining us. Excited to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's going to be a lot of topics for us to cover today. And I wanted to start from the top, just to tell us a little bit about Momentum. There's been so much happening at your company, and it's great to dig into some of the work that you've been doing there. Thank you. So many know Momentum as SurveyMonkey. SurveyMonkey is our core surveys product. Last year, a little over a year ago, we rebranded ourselves as Momentum. So the parent name is Momentum to really better reflect the suite of products and offerings that we have and that we have available to the market. While we do have the core survey platform, we also have many solutions across MRX, CX, Engage, which we use ourselves, but also make available to our customers to support them in their missions to amplify voices, make great decisions, and serve their customers well. So it's been for me, a busy 11 years at Momentive. It's been quite dynamic and fun, but most importantly, growing our portfolio of products and services that we offer our customers. It must have been a fun journey going through the growth of an organization going through so many stages, but also I imagine being in a people function and leading a people function in a company that is all about surveys and listening and data must provide some unusual perspectives and approaches. Before we we dig into all of those perspectives and approaches, I'd love to unpack what have you found most rewarding in that journey, What either in your role or in the times that you've been through? Yeah, that is a great question because there have been so many moments of learning and feeling fulfilled and finding joy in the work that I'm doing. If I had to identify a few things that I've found to be most rewarding at First and foremost is definitely being able to build my own team from scratch. When I joined, it was myself and one recruiter, just about 70 employees. Fast forward to today, we are 1,400 employees globally. We've built 
people in places function with areas of expertise and talent and learning and development, people partner or business partner function, total rewards across the board. There's been moments required of great resilience, whether it was when we lost our CEO, Dave Goldberg, in 2015, or navigating a global pandemic and a macroeconomic downturn. So there have just been so many moments where I personally have felt tested. I've been part of a leadership team that has felt tested. And I've been a leader of a team in moments where we are really being tested. And to come through and, you know, look back and say the resilience we've demonstrated to get through all of those things and to do things well really is the most rewarding part at the end of the day. What are some of the lessons that you've taken from clearly several moments of developing resilience and perspectives of how to approach turbulence that you're applying now in your thinking or your methodology as we approach, I imagine, a uncertain and turbulent time for your business, just like it is for every business? Sure. I think two things that we've done well as we navigate things are, one, listen intently to the voices of our employees. Naturally, we are a survey platform and we use not only to measure employee engagement, but to ask our employees opinion on everything from how are they doing in the early days of the pandemic to how we structure our benefits, perks, et cetera, when we are working within a more constrained financial envelope for the year. On a wide range of topics, we ask for their opinion and listen to what's most important to them, what they value, where they're willing to accept trade-offs given the challenges that the business may be having. And then the second piece is real transparency is at our all hands meetings, at our town hall meetings, being clear about what's going well in our business, what's not going well, being clear about the headwinds that we're facing in the macroeconomic environment. This principle of creating transparency is one that we're hearing a lot of organizations both attempt but also struggle with. How have you juggled that sort of measurement component of making difficult decisions and creating those trade-offs, as you've said, and then being transparent back to people about how things are going. Well, at the top line for the business, an additional layer of challenge as a public company, you have to be thoughtful and mindful about the level of transparency you have about your goals so as to not share material non-public information. What we've done is to articulate our themes for the year and how we win in that calendar year, what initiatives we'll undertake to get there and how we measure the success of those initiatives. And then typically following our quarterly earnings announcement, that's when you can be quite a bit more specific about the primary measurements of the business is how you've delivered against your revenue and your margins. On the people side of the house, like most, we measure things like engagement, attrition, and all of those more typical or traditional measures of employee success. But I think it has to be paired with the more anecdotal insights that you're hearing from employees. They give us feedback on how we're doing against our employee value proposition of being 
a place where the curious come to grow. They tell us very specifically through our engagement survey how we're delivering on that, where we're doing well and where we're not doing well and where we need to do more. And frankly, we've had to be in a challenging year, gone back to them and say, listen, I know you want all of these things. So here's what we are going to do right now. And here's what we're not going to be able to do right now. But this is our plan for the future. You've touched on a number of difficult conversations, including how to have people understand the position of having to be more thoughtful and deliberate. What have been some of the I guess, sort of reset points you've had to create in terms of company culture. In our case, for example, at Beamery, we ended up adding a new value in 2020, a few months after the pandemic hit, which is act with kindness. It was something that we actually didn't realize needed to be a culture value until suddenly everyone's behind a screen. And just you just started noticing that people are losing empathy that was previously there. I imagine in your case, you'd have gone through a couple of things that are more fundamental off the back of the listening to your employees and what's needed. What have been some of those moments and what have been some of the lessons from going through those step changes? Yeah, the values is a great example because we have had multiple moments over the course of my time where you have had to reset. One good example is going public and becoming a public company. That marks a, it's a pretty clear demarcation in how you work and operate as an organization. And for example, you now are publicly traded. You now have to be careful about material non-public information. You also have to do things like SOX compliance. And those two things in particular can be perceived to be a change in the level of transparency that you have with employees and a sense that there's a tremendous amount of bureaucracy being introduced into the organization. So that was a real moment in time where we had to say there are great things about going public, but there are also some things that you have to introduce to the business as part of being a public company that are going to be perceived as exactly this, a lack of transparency and a bit more bureaucratic than we've ever operated in the past. Another great example is when our CEO Xander joined, who is our current CEO. We took that opportunity to revisit our values and to think about the list of values. We had a very long list of values prior to that. And it marked this perfect moment in time for us to say, listen, for the chapter ahead, these are the most important things. These are how we're going to work together. This is what we're going to hold ourselves accountable to in terms of how we work together. And I think those moments continue now as we, again, continue to figure out how to work in a hybrid very distributed environment where we were, interestingly, prior to the pandemic, a very in-person culture. Only about 3% of our employee population was remote. And now we are fully 55% of our employee population is remote. And while we maintain office hubs, they aren't where people are spending the majority of their time to do their work. So that marks another major change in how we work together, how we operate, how we are productive as a team to meet the needs of the business. And it requires this new shift in how we collaborate, what tools and resources we use, how we use our offices and why. And down to things like your point there is demonstrating, continuing to be empathetic and kind in how we operate, even though we're in this primarily virtual medium where it can be much easier to care a little less about the person on the other side. 
it's uh, something I think almost every company is going through now. And the, I think we're now entering a wave where organizations are starting to consider changing that flexibility. And we've clearly gone through an environment where the expectations that candidates and employees have has radically gone through different cycles in a short space of time. If you take the example you've given of having to go to remote work, I imagine at the time, as with many businesses, there would have been resistance to adaptations to ways of working and probably resistance to not going back to the way things were after another period of time. What have been some of the lessons you've learned along the way about how to create organizational buy-in and navigating frictions in addition to the points you made around listening and collecting data, what else has helped you navigate those transitions? Yeah, that's the million dollar question at the moment. It's infinitely fascinating, I think. And you're right, the friction, the primary friction that we experienced, unlike many others, is just a known way of operating and a known way of being successful in the past. Everyone was in the same place It was very easy to keep people aligned, to be very clear about what we were working on, to pop in and advise on objectives and work that the team is doing. We've been in this work remote for a long period of time. We are starting to see companies try to pull people back and change that flexibility dynamic that we've offered and finding that too really challenging. Employees have grown to like it's their most highly valued aspect of what's changed over the last two years with work is the flexibility that they now have. But because of business challenges and business outcomes, we're drawing the connection of productivity being due to people being at home. So I just think we're in this moment where we're trying to figure out what the right balance is. You also find that when you do bring people together for meaningful experiences, whether that's a HR symposium, a sales kickoff, a strat planning event for a couple of days, you just see how that contributes to collaboration, relationship building, for lack of a better word, just fills everybody's cup up. But what is the right balance between time spent in these meaningful moments and intentional moments in time and the flexibility to work independently on the kind of productive individual contributor work? And I don't think any of us have figured out the right formula for that. We are all experimenting with where's the right middle point for that to exist so that we do both have productivity and we are able to meet business outcomes and employees retain some level of that flexibility that they've just grown to love, appreciate, and expect, frankly. To your point around experimentation, I think the last year has been very interesting in terms of how many parallel experiments have been run at different organizations. where we're starting to see some proof points of what works and what doesn't work. And one of the things that is clearly working for a lot of organizations is treating work differently to just traditional full-time jobs and careers. We see a lot of companies succeeding with different formats of gigs and talent marketplaces and internal project work. But even outside of that being a formalized program, we see a lot of companies seeing success in giving employees a different way of thinking about their careers from just traditional performance reviews and traditional cycles 
but more through the lens of how can I develop myself? What options do I have? How can I speak to relevant people within my company who might become mentors? And this kind of democratization of employee self-development is very nascent, partly because it's very new in terms of even being an option. We'd love to know what have been some of your successes and lessons in navigating that sort of talent experience. Yeah. And this is where there is so much innovation happening and so much opportunity for change and evolution for sure. We introduced before the pandemic a significant change to how we did performance reviews. We, like many, were doing kind of the annual cycle that everybody hated. And we're like, why are we doing this? Who is this good for? Who is enjoying this? It takes people offline for weeks and weeks. So we introduced a quarterly cycle that we refer to as GIGS. GIG stands for Growth, Impact, and Goals. And it is just, as you've mentioned, an employee-led conversation where an employee talks about their impact for the quarter, what they could have potentially done to be more impactful for the quarter past, and then to look ahead and say, okay, what are my goals for the quarter in an effort to seek alignment with their manager or leader? What's the impact I want to have this quarter? And what do I need from my manager or leader in terms of help? So it's this brief retrospective when it's fresh and it's, we just closed the quarter. We're not trying to look back at what happened nine months ago, which like is an eternity. We are a bit self-reflective on what we did well and where we could have done better. And then we focus ahead on our goals, our alignment, and we have this opportunity for dialogue with our leader of what we need from them. And that is this great moment to spur, I need more training or intervention on project management or I need more support and mentorship in this area. And then you have what you might refer to as a salad bar of offerings or availability to employees to then engage in coaching. We do things called curiosity chats. We have learning opportunities and interventions, and then they can self-drive learning interventions and opportunities, whether it's an engineering team that wants to do scrum training, whether it's a recruiting team who wants to go do sourcing training. There's a ton of flexibility for leaders and managers to then determine what's the best intervention to support that employee or that team in their growth ambitions and goals for this year. But I do really like the curiosity component of what you just mentioned. I think you uh, referred to it as curiosity chats. Clearly, one of the things that can help drive that dialogue and perspective of taking charge of your own career is being exploratory about it, embracing that you need to ask questions of your work and yourself and your goals. I'd love to unpack that. And I know that at Momenta, one of the things that you guys say is that curiosity is your superpower. I'd love to understand a little bit more about how you embrace that and how these curiosity chats and other pieces fit into that. So curiosity has long been part of our DNA. And we really believe it helps unlock understanding, unlock self-awareness, and unlock your understanding of what's next and your development of knowledge and willingness to take risks. Gigs are a moment of curiosity in that form where we're asking you questions and asking you to ask yourself questions about how things went. As I mentioned, the Curiosity Chats is a a leader-led conversation and it's this shared learning moment. We ask lots of questions. I give homework. I ask them to read articles. I ask them to, you know, do 
activities after we leave the curiosity chat. And it's all about growth. It's all about being willing to take risks. It's all about asking really great questions. It's all about pushing yourself to the edge of where you're comfortable and willing to operate to unlock your learning, to unlock your ability to move to the next level. So it, it's, it is, it's part of our DNA. It's part of how we operate. We really encourage it for employees and we really encourage it with our customers naturally because inherently that's what our products help them do is unlock their own curiosity about whatever it is they're working on, their customer experience, their market research, or their own employee engagement using the core survey platform. I do love how authentically tied to your customer experience that value is. And it's also something I think is really important for innovation first companies. We actually have a similar mindset at Beamery. We refer to it as starting with why. And I think one of the things that it drives is a embracing of pushing boundaries and challenging not just yourself, but the products you're building. On that kind of topic of things that are authentic parts of what you're doing as a business and what you're trying to embed in your employee experience, what are some of the things that you try to do for your employees to go beyond work? This area has been a fascinating journey for us as well, because most importantly, we've learned and partnered with employees to know what is important for us to do to create an environment that everyone can feel a sense of belonging and they can feel included. So it certainly starts with your recruitment efforts. But honestly, that can be the easier part of the equation. The belonging and inclusion once they're there is most important. So we've taken the approach of working directly with employees. And it started with the formation of some employee resource groups. You have a group of employees that self-organize into various groups, whether it's women in technology or Black employees, Hispanic employees. They formed employee resource groups and then worked together with us to say, what was important to them, what they valued, what would make them have a more inclusive experience, and whether that was sharing of cultural experiences. So they've helped, they've really helped us build this roadmap. And then, of course, we also do things that we know are critical to inclusion and belonging. For example, pay equity studies. And we look at our distribution of talent at all levels across the organization. Are we ensuring that we're paying everyone fairly for comparable work. It gives you many moments in between to understand if there is bias or challenges in your system and to correct how you approach these things, whether it's on the hiring end or the promotion and merit and pay end along the way so that you don't have a big problem. And then being transparent with employees that this is important to you as a company. It's what you do on a regular and ongoing basis. But I do think that we're entering an interesting environment in the HR space when it comes to these topics, because increasingly it's become not just a case of best practice, but also a case of regulation. Some of what you were referring to in terms of the compensation side of it is starting to become regulated where people are starting to expect salaries to be posted, which I think is fantastic. I think it's, a, it's great to see this stuff be a forcing function, but it also opens up some new questions around what's next beyond what we've done before and beyond what's being regulated. How can we really lean into the employee experience? If you look forward five years from now, and if we think about our wish list for where the future might be, 
What do you hope will have changed? A couple of things. I think many of our tools, technology, and our ability to analyze data are still nascent in the people space. It's way more sophisticated on our product, our SEO, our SEM, how those pieces of our business are performing than our ability to have great technology and tools are for people insights and people data. So I hope that continues to evolve and be a rich source of insight for us that is much easier to leverage than it has in the past. I hope we find leap function ways and opportunities to train managers and leaders. They remain the most pivotal leverage point in the organization as it relates to managing employees, investing in their growth and development. And boy, has their world changed. It would be generous to say all managers were great managers and all leaders were great managers going into the pandemic. And now everything has been switched on its ear and we're asking them to manage, lead, and do in an environment that is very different. You don't manage everyone. I don't manage everyone. We manage through leaders and managers deeper in the organization. And as much as the individual contributors need the skill, will, and ability to do their job well, the managers need that too. So those are two things that I hope we see a lot of innovation and change in over the next five years. I think we're entering a new chapter where the convergence of the need for managers to be able to make good decisions, looking at who do we have in our team, how do we get involved in planning, the possibility for technology to start connecting the manager to looking up strategic plans, looking down, how is my team doing, is opening up some new windows. So I actually think that's not only insightful, but very timely view, the extent to which managers are empowered, both by systems, tools, and processes. It's definitely an exciting time. Right, and how we enable them to accumulate the experience they need in the day-to-day interactions with people to be successful as well. The tools and technology are critical and important, but it is how they exercise good judgment in that moment, how they deal with a challenge in that moment, how they inspire, engage, and lead people in that moment. And technology and tools will help, but muscle memory and the accumulation of experience is really important too. I I couldn't agree more. I think it's important in any scenario, including this one, to only consider technology as an enabler, not a sort of a magic bullet. Uh, And I think that your framing of this as a a way of creating new experiences that they can develop is so key. Well, this has been an incredibly insightful and I imagine for many listeners, timely conversation and set of topics. And it's not many people who've been through a 20x scaling of business size and been through IPOs and changes of, in such a short space of time. Thank you for sharing all those perspectives and stories with us, Becky. It's been such a pleasure having you here. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me here. It's been a great conversation. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.